It's Law Talk with BJ, the podcast where trial attorney and legal commentator BJ Bernstein and her guests discuss the latest issues from around the legal world. BJ is a frequent commentator on television and radio. She's unique in that she not only comments on legal issues, having been lead counsel on numerous high-profile cases of national interest, but her relatable personal style allows the viewer to understand the law behind the headlines and why it's important. Now, here's your host, B.J. Bernstein. Welcome to Law Talk with B.J. Today's guest is going to be talking about some tough things that you never really think you're going to have to deal with it. It's not going to be in your family. It's not going to happen to your mother or your father or your grandparent. And yet, it too often does. And as my guest is going to explain, it's creating a crisis that's not really being dealt with very well by the courts or by social services. And that is the issues with elderly and in particular elder abuse. And my guest is well equipped to talk about this. Welcome, Diane Weinberg. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So Diane is an attorney with the firm of Morgan and DeSalvo in Atlanta, Georgia, and focuses on issues of guardianship, um, and elder law issues in general, and some other things. Um, I cer- certainly, you can fill us in on a few more, but our focus today is really going to be the issues of the elderly. And I know that um, I had my mother passed away about three years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and I am a lawyer, and I wasn't fully prepared for the things that you go through in the rapid deterioration of a parent. And not that we had abuse issues, but making decisions, what's right for them, what do you do for them, and that none of us had really planned. And I'm guessing, I'll start with this, that our lack of planning probably makes it more possible that our loved one is abused. Yes. And actually, I want to expand it, not just elder abuse, but also intellectual and developmental disabilities. So you see the children who are also abused. And and again, you've got that same issue. There has been a lack of planning, usually by the parents. Um, The comment is, and it's true, they are so busy trying to take care of this individual who can't care for themselves that there is no planning and there's the opportunity for somebody to come in. Uh, We see that both with the seniors and we see that both with people vulnerable, vulnerable populations. They just don't have the capacity to take care of themselves and no one's done the planning for them. So let's start first with, before, you know, at what stage can you as a child start working with your parent to ask the questions of what they've set up before they've reached dementia or health problems? I don't know that there's a certain age per se, certainly when somebody starts to have a chronic condition that's going to affect their capacity. It can be really hard. Sometimes it's a family dynamic. You have um, seniors who or parents who just don't want to talk about, you know, what they have financially and what's in place or what's not in place. Remember, most people don't do planning. They don't do wills. They don't do their estate planning, much less now we're going to talk about something that's very real incapacity planning. What do I want to have happen when I no longer have the ability to make decisions for myself? So it's it's. As so- certainly as soon as you know something is going on or you suspect somebody has a chronic condition, I think you ought to talk about it then. Uh, certainly if you have any kind of 
disputes within the family. Those conversations become especially important. Most of the problems that I see in my office involve family members who don't get along. Um, and so these the siblings end up litigating against each other in court. And by the way, once they've hit my office, the family situation's probably irreparable. They, the, the relationships have deteriorated to a point that really once this, this parent passes, they're not going to speak to each other again. Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. It's pretty nasty litigation. I've um, I've had attorneys, um, criminal attorneys, who uh, who have assisted. They've decided they would help out on a guardianship case, and they went running away. They're like, I am never doing this again, because there really is just a level of of nasty that goes along with this. That's um, and the best way to start this discussion again is before there's a crisis, because once there's a crisis. The good news is it's easy for me. There's not many options. But if we can do planning, we can, first of all, plan for these family disputes. The senior can come in and say what that senior wants to happen while the senior still has capacity. And that is just so important. I can't even stress that enough um, because we don't know when injury or illness is going to strike. So the sooner we can have these conversations with our parents, the sooner that we can decide what we want to do. So, I mean, even in your 20s and 30s, so some of our listeners who are younger should maybe just ask their parents who are not, you know, <laughs> they're still in their 40s and 50s, perhaps, but go ahead and start the dialogue if they, if your parents haven't already told you what they're planning. Absolutely. And likewise, if you've got a sibling who has a disability and the parents have been taking care of them, you have got to find out what's going on. You do not want to have parents who, who are suddenly deceased and now you've got a 30 or 40 year old sibling who can't take care of themselves, who lacks capacity to make the basic decisions. Um, that planning needs to happen early. And then when we say the word planning, I, I'm going to assume we're talking about who takes care of the person, who has guardianship, the legal term of the person who may not have the capacity to, to decide what happens. Is that fair to say? Or are there any other designations or other people you need to put into professionally that mix? Well, there's a, there's a bunch, of, bunch of issues, some of which are legal and some of which are legal related, I guess. Um, because I always say when I, when I meet a new client and we're doing some kind of planning, I need to know that person's whole picture. So if you will, you know, you picture the pie. And my slice of that pie, as far as from a legal perspective, is really, really tiny. But I need to know what that person wants, what their dreams are, where they want to live, what's appropriate from them from a medical standpoint, from a housing standpoint. How they want to die. you know, How they want to die. But what their finances are, because finances are a huge deal. You need to know not just what housing is appropriate, but how are you going to pay for it. So planning is done in, in determining what that individual wants and dreams. So as a parent, what does your parent want? What does your parent want? Where do they want to live? Do they have medical conditions? Are there conditions that run in your family? Because that makes a huge difference. You know, your parents may dream of living in rural Alaska, but if that's not appropriate because your parents have history of X, Y, and Z medical conditions and they need to be close to dialysis facilities or hospitals or whatever it is, so you've got to find those compromises, those things that are going to fulfill what somebody wants. We got a quality of life issue as well as meeting those medical needs. So we need to decide, you know, what that person's picture looks like. Um, legal documents. There are lots of things to do. And these, this is a great area of confusion as to what we can do to avoid. We talk, You mentioned briefly guardianship. Guardianship is guardianship of the person. Conservatorship is guardianship of the property. 
these are the opposite of your 18th birthday. When you turn 18, you magically have powers you didn't have the night before, right? You wake up in the morning, you can vote, you can you can do, you can register for the draft, you can do all kinds of things. You are legally responsible for yourself. Uh, the language, while it varies from state to state, because guardianship and conservatorship is very is very different. But in Georgia, the language is: Does this person have capacity to make or communicate significant responsible decisions with respect to their health and safety? That's guardianship, or with respect to the management of their financial affairs? That's conservatorship. So this is a removal of people's basic rights: the right to marry, the right to consent to medical. Uh, proceedings, the right to establish a trust or get rid of a trust, the right to um, determine where they want to live, right to determine where you live, um, the right to sue or uh, or defend a lawsuit. All of these, and I'm missing one in there, uh, the right to management management of your financial affairs, commercial transactions, all of this goes away. The court decides you don't have that capacity and removes it from you. In some states, it also includes the right to vote. In Georgia, it's a different procedure. So that's the very extreme. You have, because also that individual's rights are being removed, you have court oversight. You have to go to court for permission to spend money. You have to go to court for permission to move this individual, to sell their property. It's a big deal. So we try to put things in place to avoid that. And what are some of the things that we do? Powers of attorney. Um, Powers of attorney generally for our purposes, I'm going to refer to those as financial powers of attorney. But this gives somebody the capacity to do what you can do otherwise. It doesn't stop you from doing it, but it lets somebody else have that privilege. And and so many people don't have it. I know that, again, when my mother went into crisis and had her heart attack at first, we realized, you know, because of what was happening, even just during the surgery, that somebody needed power of attorney if, God forbid, something happened, to be able to deal with her affairs and get that done and we were at the, it's embarrassing, I'm a lawyer. We were at the hospital doing, before the surgery, having a power of attorney in place for that to happen so that then when things didn't go well, um, I had to make a lot of decisions. I mean, I took input from my sisters, of course, but one person always is the person who actually has to do those things. Um, so that concept of even before you're elderly, in general, someone having power of attorney in case you are incapacitated. I mean, people are in car accidents, traumatic car accidents, and are in comas. And rather than paying lawyers to have someone appointed by the court, if you had power of attorney in place for those type of unforeseen circumstances, you've got some protection already built in for the person. Absolutely. And you get to decide what you want and how you want it to happen. So you can even say in your power of attorney, I want this person, and again, we're talking financial, so I want this person to make my financial decisions for me in the event I don't have that capacity, okay? So I, this is who I nominated to be my guardian of the property or my conservator in this event. So you re And this is the person, if you have somebody who you really have had fights with, another family member who's very controlling, this is the person who I don't want. Um, so that's very that's a great opportunity and a great way to avoid that very extreme guardianship and conservatorship uh, proceeding. Um, the other thing is a health care proxy. In Georgia, they're called advanced directives for health care. Other states are power of attorney for health care. They have lots of names. But this, again, allows somebody to speak on your behalf in the event you can't speak. They can't send you to, to a facility that you don't want to go to if it's medical. But if you can't speak for yourself, 
then the power of attorney sticks in, steps into place and the, your agent speaks on your behalf. So these are two very important documents. A third one I don't want to be remiss in mentioning is a trust because whereas powers of attorney are not always honored by financial institutions, and that's been a huge issue in the state of Georgia, a trust has to be honored by everyone. Um, powers of attorney go stale. So this is a speaking of embarrassing. My husband and I have powers of attorney. It's over a decade old. It's got to be a dozen years old, right? The cobbler's children have no shoes. <laughs> so we've got this really old power of attorney. And if my husband took my, you know, my power of attorney and walked into the bank, the bank's going to throw him out because there's no way for the bank to know if we're still married. Am I still even, you know, uh, they have no idea what our relationship is. Is this still a good document? So this is a good reminder for our listeners that you may sit here and you've been listening to this podcast and say, oh, you know, I'm already, I've got a will, a power of attorney. Wait, how long ago was it? When did you do it? Has anything changed with the people you designated in right. that power? You know, are, are you still sure that's your choice if, God forbid, in the next 10 minutes something happens? Is that who you're going to want? So right. it, it's that inventory you need to be doing now while you're capable and can determine these things. Right. And by the way, those documents that I've mentioned, the power of attorney, the healthcare proxy, the trust, they are not worth the paper they are written on if you don't have good fiduciaries. I have seen fiduciaries. And by the way, it doesn't matter but, how- and, and if you'll define that for- Sure. I apologize. Whoever your agent is under the power of attorney, whoever the trustee is under the trust, um, those are, are your fiduciaries. They owe you because they are in such a position of confidence, right? You are vulnerable when you have this agent or this trustee acting on your behalf because you're putting your faith in them that they're going to behave in your best interest. If you don't have a good agent, if you don't have a trustworthy trustee, it's not worth it. It's not worth the paper you're written on. And that's where I see a lot of abuse. We see powers of attorney abused by family members. They just go and they clean out dad's account. We had one trust. The trustee took all of dad's money and then moved dad across the country. And we managed to find him four days before he passed away. But he was taken away from all of his family members because dad nominated a bad trustee. And that's what you're talking about, granny snatching or whatever term of literally taking that person away and cutting them off from other people because someone knows that there's funds there to exploit. Right. It's uh, isolationism is an absolute form of abuse. Or let me rephrase that. It's an absolute sign of abuse. If you come into me and say, I can't see my parent, my sibling's not allowing me to see them. That's abuse. All right. They are isolating you from your parent. Now, there are situations when maybe you're the one who's doing the abuse and, and you know, you're being restricted from seeing that parent as a result. But um, but even then, under the Bill of Rights, right? Our, our right of freedom, religion, and association, we get to see whoever we want to see. That's true under uh, not only under the Constitution, but if you're in a facility, there are patient bill of rights, there are resident bill of rights, both state and federal, that guarantee you that ability to visit with your family members. If your parent is a ward under a guardianship, guess what? The guardian is supposed to give you access to whomever you want. So, and that's that's been issues sometimes. We've had clients who maybe they their best friend is very mentally ill and comes in and disrupts the assisted living. We've seen that too. But as long as that person can be accommodated within reason, that the the ward gets to go see the ward's friends and the ward's family members. 
And I know courts that will throw a guardian out if that guardian doesn't allow that individual access to their friends and family members. Interesting. But that is absolutely, so that is a sign, it's it's a sign of abuse. And it can, that type of sign, it can go further as you're taking, where someone's physically moved to a place and removed from everyone. And can you tell me some of those scenarios and how does someone help themselves essentially save a parent, you know, who, these who are gets when, isolated? Yeah, these are when we get courts involved. And those are, these are some of the most difficult cases that we have because there, there are some very good uniform statutes. 47 states have a uniform jurisdiction as statute. And the name is an obnoxious name. It's like Uniform Jurisdiction Personal Protection Act. And, and it varies from a little bit on, as to whether your state calls it a guardianship or conservatorship. And when we're saying jurisdiction, it means in 47 states, essentially, there's some sort of law there to assist you in dealing with these issues, regardless of what state you're in. Right. And, and this is important because guardianship as we talked about before, in conservatorship, those are state-specific issues. There is no federal law on that, okay? So your state governs your guardianship law. Well, what happens, and we see this, when mom is moved from one state to another? Who has jurisdiction over this individual? And again, that term that you referred to before is just that. It's called granny snatching. It's when you take a relative who has an incapacity across state lines with the idea of obtaining control, typically of their finances, and sometimes to stick it to the siblings. That's what I typically see. There's a lot of sibling fighting. Um, so yes, you want mom's money, but you know, you broke my Barbie doll when I was five years old and you were mean to me and mom always loved you best. So now this is my revenge because I'm gonna have the say of what happens to mom. And you would be amazed at how much of it is. It really is sibling rivalry, but to the whatever degree, it's really unbelievable. Um, what I find, I don't know, amusing, disheartening, ironic. The more abusive that parent was, the nastier the fight is. You get parents with dementia who were alcoholics, who were abusive to their children, and the fights to care these for these parents who were just horrible to you when you were younger. It's unbelievable how, how ugly some of those fights can get and the lengths that some of those kids will go to so that their siblings can't say hi to mom and dad. Unbelievable. But the perp the, these granny snatching, again, we move somebody across jurisdictions. And the problem was that if we moved somebody from Georgia to neighboring Tennessee, let's say, um, they had different statutes. So they might family member might try to obtain guardianship in Tennessee and not really tell the person in Georgia what was going on. And so you get dueling court orders and right. then which one carries the day. So now we have a uniform act that most states have adopted, um, but there are some notable exceptions. Florida and Texas are two of those exceptions. And by the way, guys, if you can hear me, please adopt them. It would make my life so much easier and it would be so beneficial. Seriously, there's an attorney I know in Florida who we work with. He's described financial exploitation in Florida as their new cottage industry. Wow. And it's because you can take people across state lines and have them, even though they don't have capacity, have them sign powers of attorney and then they drain their accounts. So and it's a, it's a significant why, why problem. Why resistance in those two? Because especially Florida, where there is such a large senior population, you go there to retire. You know, that's the dream for a lot of people. I'm going to go to Florida. I don't understand it either. But if I, I've, you know, I've discovered that if I were to switch hats, if I decided to go to the dark side, I'll move to Florida and exploit seniors. It, it's just... Um, I don't know if I should put it out there or not. There are always people who are afraid. Don't say that, Diane, because, you know, you're just going to encourage people to, to go do that. But 
I think we've got to shed light on it, that Florida, I've found their protection for seniors not to be great. I've had trouble dealing. We, we've had people taken from Georgia to Florida. We found the police there very difficult to deal with. We found the process for um, what's called domesticating for the Florida courts to honor a guardianship in other from another jurisdiction. We found those very difficult to to get the Florida courts to recognize from other jurisdiction. The process takes too long. Um, and um, as a result, these abusers really can can get their hands into into that adult. Also, with the isolationism, they get to make up stories about the people that are trying to save them and protect them. Oh, you don't want to go to them. They've stolen all your money. The reality is the person who's saying that is the one who's taken all the money. The other thing we've seen in Florida, and I lost my train of thought there really well, quickly. Well, I'm going to ask, yes. ask you this, though, because you mentioned law enforcement. So the things that you're describing where someone takes someone who doesn't have the capacity to make decisions and move them across state lines and take their money, you know, if it weren't a parent or an elderly person, and I do a lot of criminal law, that would be a whole myriad of crimes that law enforcement could potentially take out a warrant, take care mm-hmm. of. Um what's the role of law enforcement in this and how has that been? Law enforcement, and I don't want to pick on the police, all right? I don't want to pick on law enforcement and because I know everyone is doing their best and everyone is overworked and everyone is underpaid, and I get that. So, and, and I, when I talk to police officers, well, certainly when I get involved, everyone is very understanding and willing to do what's necessary. And I will actually walk in and I will hand them the statutes and say, here, this is what you need to do. I also refer police enforcement to an app created by the Georgia GBI called G-A-N-E, Georgia Abuse, Neglect, and Exploitation, that lists the statutes um, as well as if, uh, so that they know how to charge this individual, as well as it also provides resources. So if you find an individual who has been the subject of abuse, you have a list of resources of places you can take them and other things that we can do while this case is being managed. But all too often, I find the police look at the issue of elder abuse and they see a civil dispute. They see a family dispute. So I've had I've had some really terrible cases. Again, we had an individual who was being financially exploited and physically abused. She was a special needs individual. She was in her 50s. And an abuser had come into the house, had had her sign a power of attorney, and was just moving money out of her account and stuff out of her house. Some good Samaritans came in, called the police, and the police said, the, the abuser came back, I have a power of attorney. The woman who was being abused said, I don't want them back in my house. And the police said, sorry, he's got a power of attorney. You need to go have another power of attorney signed. Completely the wrong answer. An 170%. Because a power of attorney gives somebody the ability to do the same thing that you can do, but you can always say no. Mm. All right. A power of attorney doesn't take away your rights. It gives the right for somebody else to do what you can do. So if you're some an agent acts under your power of attorney and they act in a way that you don't want them to, you have the right to say no, stop it and revoke that power of attorney. Because it's not the same as guardianship. It is not. No. And so so there's a distinction there, the power of attorney versus guardianship. And so it sounds like in some instances, people may need to pursue guardianship and that more formal legal process if they're really concerned about the capacity of a family member to take care of things. Right. There's two points I want to make. First of all, when you talk about the police in this case, there's actually a criminal statute. Georgia has and many other states have, which says if you abuse somebody through their power of attorney, 
There's no limit, by the way, in the state of Georgia. If you do it for $200, you get uh, you can be sentenced from 1 to 15 years automatically. All right? That's the statute in Georgia. So a, fel- a felony conviction, potential jail time. Oh, absolutely. And a fine up to $100,000, I believe. So you're going to see that statute elsewhere. So that's the first thing. It is a crime. The second issue is, and I see this a lot with dementia. I always say dementia trumps all. So that you may have somebody with a great power of attorney, with fabulous fiduciaries, their agent is doing absolutely everything they need to, but dementia trumps all. And that person with dementia is going to rip up their power of attorney, get upset, revoke your rights, and you're going to end up needing to get conservatorship or guardianship of the property of that individual just because just because at that point, there's they don't have capacity to do a new power of attorney. To do a new power of attorney, you actually just can't sign one. You actually need to know what you're signing, need to understand the consequences of what you're signing. It's essentially, it's what's called the capacity to contract. Um, So I have people all the time call me and say, the nursing home said I needed a power of attorney for my mother who was in their, you know, in their memory care unit. And I'm like, okay, let's have another conversation because we can't. Um, So once somebody has that lack of capacity, then you're looking at guardianship and conservatorship. We can't, you know, give them the ability to, to, to do just it. have them sign something because no. they really don't understand. And by the way, and here's also what happens. People think this drives me crazy. Attorneys, if you're listening, don't do this because somebody, a family member will come in and say, look, my parents have incapacity. Can we do a power of attorney? And the attorney says, you know what? These are nice people. I'm going to help them out. And they sign the power of attorney and or, ha- or they do the power of attorney for this individual. And now, granted, I don't see all the times it works. I only see the times where it doesn't work. But typically what comes into my office then is the person who the attorney did this as a favor, more or less. And now a week later, the sibling came in and had mom do a power of attorney. And we know that that power of attorney isn't good because mom didn't have a capacity. But you know what? It wasn't good the week before when you did the exact same thing. So if you, you know, so now we're going to end up in guardianship and there's going to be a fight. And now the court's got to figure out who the bad actor is. Because you both did the same thing within a short period of time. And the question is, well, why is one legitimate and not the other? No one has clean hands. No one has clean hands. Mm. So it's just better to have those tough conversations and say, I know you don't want to do guardianship, but you don't want to come back and see me when somebody else has walked in and done that second power of attorney because now i got to explain to the court what happened and what the difference was. Typically, you know, this is not the judge's first time at this rodeo. The judge is going to know what happened, but it's just not a it's just not a great place to be. And if you had done the guardianship in the first place, it, it you know, it's at least in Georgia, it's not that expensive. It's it's a lot of administration. There's a lot of forms though that are involved. The hearing and that's daunting. It's daunting, but it's not hard. Okay. The hearing is 20 minutes in a case where we have a family member who's just trying to take care of it. Now, if you get into a dispute, it's full-blown litigation and with all the unpredictability and costs of full-blown litigation. And that's where you are with that new second power of attorney. If you had just said mom doesn't have capacity and you didn't try to force this power of attorney, you would have saved yourself a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of aggravation. It's hard, but it's definitely the better way to go than playing the odds. So I want to end because this is going fast and I could keep going with you. We may have to talk another time. But just to go back to before everything falls apart, before mom or dad are incapacitated, what suggestions do you have 
at not too much of an expense, you know, for a regular family. In other words, a lot of these things sound like you need to have immense wealth. Um, And yet, you know, plenty of people, middle, all different ranges of financial capacity own things and have things and someone has to take care of them. So what is their best um, route for a reasonable cost in trying to prevent these problems? Estate planning is definitely the way to go. It, I know people think it's expensive, but increasingly estate planning isn't what happens when you die. It's what you, how you want to live the rest of your life. And it ought to, an estate planner ought to include your powers of attorney, both your financial and your health care, and to help you determine whether you need a trust, what kind of issues are floating out there that could be the dispute. If we tie up those assets in a trust, you are less attractive to abuse. Just you are. And if you do become subject of, you know, normally you as the parent, what you're going to have control over your trust until you lack capacity. So it gives somebody the ability to cut off the, the funds if you are no longer able to manage them and to be managed on your behalf. Again, an abuser can't get it unless you've appointed the abuser as trustee. Again, you've got to pick the right people. That is your best thing to do. Also, if you have some time, sit down with your indulgence of choice, whether it be a glass of wine, a bowl of ice cream, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and figure out how do you want to live? You know, we, we all say, you know, don't put me in a nursing home, but sometimes that's not realistic, okay? Medical conditions, you have strokes, you have other unfortunate conditions. Go ahead and lay out what you want. And that way it provides guidance to the family. And also it provides guidance in the event that, again, dementia trumps all. If something happens, you can go to the court or you're, the people who are acting on your behalf can go to the court and say, this is what they want and this is how I want to carry it out for them. We have a plan. Um, talking with your family. I know I come from a family where the discussion was, it's none of your business how much I make. Don't talk about it. I'll tell you if it's a problem. That's that's not a good situation. So you need to make sure to have those, try to have those tough conversations with your family members. If you are aging, try to have those tough conversations with your kids or at least the people that you want. If you don't like your kids, you don't trust your kids, you may love your or kids. Or you don't have any. You, or you don't have any kids. Yes, that's another issue. You know, people come in, they're like, well, who am I going to have take care of me? There are third parties that will act as your agent under a power of attorney, both financial and um, health care. You have to go find them. In some states, they're more prevalent than in others, but they are out there. So you have the opportunity to take control, to minimize your your risk for being abused and for living the life that you want to live. You just have to tell people what it is. And on that note, I'm going to wind it down. We have been drinking a cup of tea, as we do on every episode of Law Talk. And the tea that I select today, as after as I listen to the conversation, you know, I'm trying to plan in advance how we're going to go, and I think it's particularly appropriate. So we have a tea with an ingredient called goy, uh, gayuasa. I'm probably butchering that. G-U-Y-U-A-S-A. Um, it's from the Amazon, and it's an ingredient that helps you wake up, um, mental strength and focus. And this is a wake-up call, I think, this conversation that every single person wants to ignore death at some point or yes. and don't think about what's going to happen to them or their parents or their sibling, that, that the worst can happen. And so this cup of tea is a wake-up call to everyone listening. Um, take a few minutes, 
do that inventory that Diane's been talking about of where you are, who can help you, and what documents, what legal documents you have. Yes, you're going to be hiring a lawyer at the beginning, but that is certainly less expensive and less of a toll emotionally when you reach the end of life. So thank you, Diane. Thank you for joining me on Law Talk. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is not to be construed as legal advice. With any legal issue, you should reach out to a professional attorney that practices law in the state and area of law for which you need information or consultation. Law Talk with BJ does not establish an attorney-client relationship, which is only formed when you have hired an attorney and signed an engagement agreement or contract. It's Law Talk with BJ Music Theme, written and produced by Atlanta Audible. This podcast copyright 2018, BJ Bernstein Esquire.